Well, good morning, Sierra Grace. Uh, I guess morning. You might not be watching this at morning, but we are um, glad that you've joined us. Um, and we're excited to continue to be the church in this time of uncertainty and trouble. And I just want to fill you in on a couple of things that are going on in and around us. You know, we will be um, doing video sermons for the next several weeks until we get the okay by the state of California and the CDC to meet again. Um, but we are not absent. We are here with you and praying with you and excited um, to do what we can to bring a little bit of normalcy um, to this situation. I want to fill you in on a couple things that have happened in our body this week. Most of you have probably heard that two of our longtime members who've been battling illness for a while, Jim Stocks and John Balin, have gone home to be with the Lord. So the Lord has taken them home so that they don't have to deal with the the excitement that we are now. I've spoken with both the Stocks and the um, Balaam family, and they're doing well. They appreciate your prayers, um, and they um, just want us to know to continue on. So I'm going to go ahead and start us off with a a little pastoral prayer right now, and then we'll go ahead and take a look at the word um, that God has for us today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in all the excitement and trauma of the last days that you don't change. We have confidence today because we know that you are good and that you love us and that uh, there is nothing that you won't do for us to grow us into your likeness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for our friends, Jim and John. We rejoice that they are with you, um, experiencing life like they've never experienced it before. Um, And uh, finally, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have promised to both provide for us and protect us and know that in these troubled times, that doesn't change. You are our hope and our joy, and we um, rejoice in that and take courage and comfort in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's not, um, not news to any of you that these are difficult and trying times. And uh, as we have been adjusting this week, um, one of the things that's been challenging for me is watching my kids go through this. And so last week, um, as you might know, um, we have a tendency to like sports. And so on last Wednesday, um, my sister bought David and Jonathan a Kings game. And so we were at the Arco Arena when the NBA season was canceled. And uh, that was a bummer as we came home and uh, had to leave the game before it was played. And then we were supposed to go to the NBA. NCAA tournament this weekend, and that got canceled. But the final event that was so troubling um, was our Little League season got canceled. And uh, we had the last practice. We were practicing when word came down that our season was going to end. And so at the end of practice, I asked the boys, you want the good news or the bad news? And they were all decided the bad news first. And I had to tell them that, you know, our season had been postponed. At that point, it was April, but now it's May. And uh, they were kind of shell-shocked. And the good news was is we had a great practice before it ended, right? And so on the way home, I was uh, looking over, and Jonathan, my buddy, was sitting right next to me in the uh, in the car, and he just started to cry and to weep because the things that he loved most um, all seemed like they were being taken away from him. And these uncertain times, and, and the way he processed that was really external, and it was right in front of me, and you could tell um, that he was really troubled by that. And the next couple of days, anytime I went to work or whatever, he wanted to come with me. But, you know, I've got these two twins, and uh, they have the same DNA and the same environment. But David's response to the fear and the uncertainty of what's going on is to hide in a book or a video game or something. And so the 
the reason I tell you that is we all respond to this and take on this fear and the situation that life is bringing us really differently. Um, and they're both okay. Um, I think it's good for us to be aware about how God is working in our lives and what he's doing um, and give one another the space to do that. But I have a word for us today that I think has been so helpful for me. Now, this, I hope, comes as a comfort to you, but I don't expect most of you to remember my sermons much longer than a week after I've given them. But every once in a while, there will be a sermon that's preached in your life or that you hear that sticks with you long, long after um, the sermon's done. And for me, the, what I wanna, the story I want to tell, tell to you this morning is a sermon that I heard way back in high school by Pastor Krogh in the little church that I heard in Orland. And it's the story of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Now, you've just heard Betsy read it for you. Thank you, Betsy, for doing that for you. But this sermon, and it's not the sermon as much as the story of what Jesus and Peter did together that day and what Jesus was teaching Peter has stuck with me and become a paradigm for how I understand my, the relationship between fear in our lives, which we're all experiencing at some level right now, and the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus. And so, without much further ado, I don't want to try to, you know, to go too long here, um, but I just want to share with you or reshare with you uh, what Pastor Krogh taught me so long ago, um, because I have found this paradigm for dealing with faith and fear so helpful. A couple things to uh, remember before we get to the heart of the story is what happens right before it. The beginning of chapter 14, before the text that we got to, John the Baptist is beheaded um, by the quote-unquote king of Israel, yeah? And uh, you know what? That's disconcerting, isn't it? We kind of read through that and think, oh, that's just what happens. But this was Jesus' cousin, and people knew John. And his death was extremely difficult and disconcerting. What is their government doing for us? Are they for us or not? And he was a relative. What must that done to the world that they lived in? The other story that precedes this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000, one of Jesus' miracles, right? Um, and it's an interesting story because Jesus is teaching these people and they're kind of up on a hill, not close to any town. And the disciples come to Jesus and say to him, we need to send them away. We need to do something because there's no food here. And Jesus responds to him as classic Jesus. He says to them, uh, we don't need to send them away. You feed them. And I am struck, actually, by how relevant this sounds to us today. Huh? There's a government doing what they should do. I'm afraid because things are out of control. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to go? Um, that story and this story have some common boundaries that I think are helpful for us. The next thing before we dive right in and we walk through the stories, let's remember who the characters are in the stories. The hero of our story, as is always the heroes, is the person of Jesus. huh? He is going to be the one who acts miraculously, shows us that God is in control, and that he isn't even in, just in control of this situation, but he is in control of the entire creation. And on a day like today, that's good news, isn't it? The other characters in our stories are these disciples, primarily Peter, but there are 12 of them. And we know four of these disciples, we have two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And the other thing we know about these guys is that they're fishermen. And the place where this story happens is their hometown. It was Auburn, California for them, or for me, Orland, in the middle of an almond or a walnut orchard, right? Um, it was the place they felt at home, 
where they were comfort. And I haven't been a farmer for a long time, but when I go and walk through those fields with my dad, there's this sense of that I belong here and I, I get it. I know how these trees work and what we have to do to take care of them. It's important for us to know that that's where these guys were. They were doing and at the place where they should have felt most comfortable. So our story begins. John's done this thing. There's been this incredible day of the feeding of the 5,000. And all of a sudden, Jesus realizes that things might not be perfect, I think. The uncertainty in their political world, the large crowds that are gathering, and Jesus sees these disciples and says, we need to get out of here. And he puts them in the boat and sends them to the other side of the lake. What we need to know is the other side of the lake is Gentile territory. Why would he do that at a moment like this? We're going to have to speculate, but I think the speculation that means the most sense to me is that Jesus is afraid they're going to try to make him the king. The prophet is doing miracles and miraculous things, providing for them and comforting them. That's who we want as our king. But Jesus doesn't want that right now. Because what we learn by reading the end of the story is that Jesus is going to be a completely different kind of king than they expected. So in order to get away from that danger of him having to do something he doesn't want to do, they're going to make an escape and head off to Gentile territory to the northeast corner of the lake from the northwest corner of the lake. And as he does this, it strikes me that both groups of people, the disciples and the Jesus, Jesus start to do what they do best. Jesus puts his disciples in the boats that they've lived their life in, on the lake that they lived their life in, and said, you guys go to the other side of the lake. And Jesus does what he does best. He sneaks up the hill, um, finds a place of solitude, and starts to pray to his father and takes some time away from the crowds to prepare what God, for what God's got for him next. But then, we're told, just before the dawn, Jesus looks up, and a storm and the winds have blown on this lake and come up in the middle of the night. And right before the dawn, Jesus looks up and sees his disciples, those guys who should be in their place of comfort, um, in a place of pretty much chaos, stuck in the middle of the lake, um, not making any progress from one side to the other. Seems to me that they're hanging on for dear life. And Jesus basically starts to do a miracle. He walks down the shore and walks on the lake in the midst of the tempest across it. Now, it's interesting. One other thing I want to add about this miracle is that, you know, Jesus doesn't do miracles to show off. I don't think there's a single miracle in the, in the New Testament where Jesus says, well, you want to see something cool? Let's check this out. When Jesus does a miracle, he does a miracle to help us, to provide for us, to protect us. And that's exactly what he does here. What do we see or learn about Jesus from this miracle of walking on the water? It seems to me the thing that we learn immediately is that Jesus is the master over creation, isn't he? He controls it, he dominates it, and it bends to his beckoning, not the other way around like we often bend to its. So imagine the picture. These disciples who start confident and as the night wears on, grow more panicked and chaotic, see this guy walking across the water. And as you can imagine, it's probably not, pretty, not easy to tell who's walking across the water. And since they've never seen a person walk across the water, I find their reaction, which is fear, to be uh, warranted. And the fear is marked out three times. The first thing we're told about their response to seeing Jesus coming is that it's a ghost. 
Fair enough. The second thing we hear is that they're terrified or troubled. Fair enough again. And the third thing that they do is they cry out in fear. And here's where like, they've, you know, they've lost their male dignity and they're like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. It seems like it's happening. But what I love is Jesus' response. It is immediate and predictable. And what he tells them is to take courage and don't be afraid. There's no need to be afraid when the creator of the universe is with us. The one who controls the stars and the moon and controls our days, who controls the sea and the wind, is with them. And so they need not be fear, be afraid. Maybe the most surprising thing outside of the resurrection to happen in the whole scriptures is what happens next. And you got to love Peter. Peter stands up and says, if it is you, let me come to you. I'm like, way to go. No, way to go, Peter. I'm the guy in the back of the boat saying, I'll just stay right here. But as I was thinking about that this week, it's like that statement is really interesting because it's a combination of both doubt and certainty, isn't it? Peter doesn't know just as of yet if it is Jesus. He suspects it's Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. It could only be Jesus. But he doesn't say, Jesus, I see you. I'm coming to you. He says, if it's you, command me to come to him. And Jesus' word response is one word, come. Come to me. And immediately Peter leaves his comfort zone, steps out of the boat, and does the impossible. Amongst the wind and the wave and the chaos and the storm and the uncertainty of everything that's happened that night, he walks right towards Jesus. And if you look at your text really closely, you'll see that it makes a point that as Peter's walking on the water, you know, he's not dancing sideways, doing the floss or the macarena. We're told he walks right towards Jesus and does something that no human has ever done in history besides Jesus. He walks on the water towards his Lord. But Peter isn't unlike us, is he? His brief moment of success is followed by um, an incredibly human moment. As he's out there on the lake and he's looking at Jesus out of the corner of his eye, I suspect he sees the wind and the waves. And his focus drifts from the one who created this world to the troubles that inhabit it. And as he does, he begins to sink. It's easy to blame Peter there for his short-sightedness, but I would probably say that's pretty human, huh? It'd be hard to walk on the water with Jesus amongst a storm for too long without realizing what in the world I just did, or we just did. But what I want to give Peter credit for is that once things start to go bad, he knows exactly who and what to ask for, doesn't he? His first thing to do once he starts to go down is he cries out to Jesus, and he asks him to save him. Jesus responds both in action and in speech to Peter's request as he often does. It's not just empty words, but words that are associated with who he is and how he responds. The first thing we're told in this story is that immediately, now this is a little odd in our day and age, but immediately Jesus reaches out his hand. Now we're not shaking hands, but this hand I'd shake people, right? If Jesus reaches out to pull me out of the water, I give you permission to break, you know, the social distancing law and reach out and shake that hand, okay? Grab it. And Jesus catches him, we're told, and ends his sinking, right? And then they both move back into the boat together. And once they get into the boat together, Jesus stops the winds and calms the sea. What does he say to Peter? 
You know, Peter cries out and we're not given any dialogue from Jesus until they get back into the boat. And once everything's safe and they're there together and he showed once again his control over all of creation, he says to Peter, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Right there for us, huh? And here's where that paradigm of faith and fear comes together for us. When we're with the one who loved us, dies for us, is resurrected for us, and created this world, um, we can trust in him. The fear won't totally go away, but we can set it aside or put it on the back burner, knowing that the creator, the one who can walk on water and still the seas, is with us. What he's saying to Peter when he says, Oh, of you little faith, why do you doubt? Is Peter, I had you all the way. You were never in danger because I was with you. And my friends, that's what he's saying to us today. We don't need to be afraid, overly afraid. We need to be cautious. But we know the one who made this world has got our backs. He's not giving up on us. And he'll be with us through the end of this thing. We don't need to be afraid. He is with us. Upon seeing this, the rest of the disciples enter back into the story, huh? What have they seen tonight? They've seen Jesus' mastery over all of creation. He's the one who controls this thing like no other. They've seen his divinity shine through, haven't they? And they've seen his compassion for Peter. That he will not quit on him or abandon him, but loves him and is teaching him something through the midst of one of the most tragic experiences of his entire life. And what did the disciples do? They stop in the middle of a lake in a boat and they worship him, huh? It might not be the most traditional place or manner to worship, but it's worship nonetheless. That's what we're doing today, isn't it? Our lives have been changed and are a little bit different, but we're going to worship nonetheless. Because where else would we go? Who else do we trust? We trust the one who made us and loved for us. So as we finish up here, I have one statement for you and two questions for you. The first statement is, you know what? In my time as pastor here at Sierra Grace, it's one of the most common refrains or troubles that I've heard from people is my life's too busy. Well, all of a sudden, people, our lives are not too busy. In that regard, let's use this as an opportunity um, to change, to slow down, to spend quality time with one another and our families. I can already tell in the four days that this has happened that my habits are changing already. I don't want to turn the TV on because there's nothing there worth watching, right? Um, We've read and played more games as a family than we have in the past. And I'm going to look after Jonathan and make sure his fear doesn't overcome him. And David to make sure that he doesn't hide from it all, but knows that we're here and love him. When God gives us lemons, let's make some lemonade, folks. It's not all that bad. The second two challenges are, and the primary one is, where's your focus? Are you going to be looking at the wind and the waves of this world? Or are you going to be focusing on the creator of this world who's promised that he will provide for us, care and care for us? Who's defeated evil and has a better plan for us in eternity? Where is our focus? Who will we trust? And what will reign in our life? And the second question I have for you is really the same one. Who and what will you worship today? Who will you worship? 
We all are going to worship something. And it's so tempting in times of trouble to have our worship be moved from the thing that's so um, important in our lives to something else. One of the wonders of this story is that the disciples in that moment on that boat, when they saw what Jesus do, it became completely clear to them who and what they should worship. So let's worship the God who made us and loved us together. Amen. How long? Uh, 17. Perfect. Do um, I have a benediction. Do you want to record that and add it on at the end or not? So it's just as you go or stay in this case. <laughs> Oops. Or we don't have to. What do you think, John? Um, let me think about that. Well, let's just record it. You don't have to okay. use it. Okay. okay. Um, can you add a piece in there about um, if you're in need of, uh, of anything? Um, I say again. Did it go up? Cause, okay, because Brian was freaking out last night about it. Oh, I saw it in email. Okay, we need. To, so he was like with the, he was like with these rules. We can't go out and shop for people. We, we can go out and shop for people, right? So yeah, so let's do that. We'll say you know at the. So, yeah, we can, we can, you know what, that's good. We'll just do, look, we are going to collect the names of those people who need help amongst us and those people who'd like to help. There's a, two forms at the bottom of this, this, service. this service that you can go ahead and sign up for. Um, we would like to, um, we want to be an agent. Uh, how am I going to say this? We want to be... We want to be the church that helps those who are in need right now. So please let us know if you can either need some help or want to help, and we will um, try to organize and get you all connected to one another. Okay. That's and, and we're figuring this out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sierra Grace, one final note. You know, these are uncertain times, and we are figuring this out as we go along. We're doing the best we can um, to try to serve and to serve people in and around our community. So down at the bottom of this worship service, there are two forms down there. If you need help, whether you can't go out to buy groceries or running short of something or in a financial situation that is dire, we want you to let us know, and we're going to do the best we can to help you all out. And I've had numerous people contact me already saying we're willing to go buy groceries, fix plumbing, an array of type of things that people want to do to serve the body of Christ. And there's a forum at the bottom of this service where you can go ahead and sign up to be an agent of help for us. We are going to try to get you together and do the best we can to make sure the entire body is taken care of in this time. We love you and we might be distant and distant physically, but we're not distant emotionally and spiritually. We are here for you. So now I want to close this service with a little benediction, as I do on most Sundays. As you go, or in this case, stay, fix your sight squarely on Jesus, knowing that he not only has you, but has had you all along. Amen.